This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello again. Thank you for joining us, Disaster Divas. It is me, Jordan Cruciola. And me, Amanda Smith. And what a treat we have for you. Back-to-back weeks, we have guests on the show. And I will, I feel like I'll just set up right away. Uh, Guest, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us the movie that you have selected for us to talk about? (laughs) Okay. Hi, I'm Erin Biba. I am a science journalist and a professional fact checker. And also, I should just say that I am a very, very long time, many years old friend. Yes. Of both Jordan and Amanda. Um, And my uh, specialty is uh, climate science. So... I have picked probably what I think is the greatest disaster movie <laughs> of all time. And it's it so does, possible. It's the greatest of all time. And it does involve atmospheric science quite heavily. <laughs> and that is the film Twister. Yes. 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 I, I want to <laughs> I want to interject the fun fact about Twister that this movie made uh what year did this come out? Nineteen ninety six. This movie yeah. made $494 million at the box office, as well it should have. And it is directed by a uh, noted, especially cinematographer, Jan de Bont, which to me is just a wonderful fact because consider the other directorial credits of Jan de Bont. Speed This, Speed 2, The Haunting, and Laura Croft, to the cradle of life. Wow. Like that's At that just, point, you just retire, honestly. That's just <laughs> like, on as a director. And he also provided the cinematography for such hit, like just to give you a sense of the man's style. He did the cinematography for Die Hard, for Whoa. 1990s Flatliners, for one of the most, one of the most underratedly beautiful thrillers of all time in the hunt for red October. This is a man of panache, Cujo. And so, yeah, that's, that's who's bringing us the hits with Twister and this incredible ensemble cast, which we're going to get into, but yeah, uh, that, that's, that's what we're doing today. And I couldn't be more excited that we finally got you on Aaron to be talking about this movie. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> no, I'm really thrilled. <laughs> is, I believe you. And so, gosh, I mean, I guess, um, Amanda, do you want to yeah, tell us what this is about? So this is the story of... In the uh, summary sense, not in the what is this really about sense. No, no, As no, I, we're, not, we're not jumping ahead. But uh, <laughs> this, is, this is about uh, storm chasers mm-hmm. who are in Oklahoma in the summer to try and not just chasing storms, but to it's Joe and Bill. Joe is Helen Hunt. Joe and her team of ragtag kind of do-gooder. So ragtag. So ragtag, so wholesome. They mean well. They're odds and ends kind of folks. <laughs> trying to um, 
essentially get this like sensor system up into a tornado because it will allow them to analyze the inside of a tornado for the first time ever. And magically, because they can analyze the inside of a tornado, they'll be able to create an early warning system. This plan, they are brought along, or they bring along with them Bill, who is Bill Paxton, who is <laughs> soon to be Joe's ex-husband, and yeah. his fiance Melissa, the absolutely fabulous Jamie Gertz. Jamie and, Gertz in a ah! star turn, in a scene-stealing supporting actress star turn. A lot of feelings about Jamie Gertz. We will get to it. Uh, someone we, someone that we have not seen in a while. It's so unfair that she got stuck, that, she got stuck doing hot um, ugly husband hot wife sitcom for a long time. <laughs> well, she was not King of Queens. It was one of them. It, it was like it was uh, like King of Queens, but not. It was. Well, uh, she wasn't. She was an entourage a little bit, which is really the you know the one of the worst things you can do to a woman is put her in entourage. Oh God, why would you do that? To her? <laughs> but uh, Jamie Gertz, I will be your agent. Like, <laughs> how dare your agent? Honestly, um, it, oh, still standing. That's what oh, she was okay, on. Yeah. She was on still standing for for year for four years, and which is just unfortunate. Um, and yeah, so that's that's our, basically our story. It's about tornadoes. Yeah. It's about love. And uh, it's about a lot of debris. Yeah, yeah. A lot of debris. It's about a lot of debris. And And yeah. Quite a bit of driving. So much driving. So much. More driving, really, than True Detective Season 2. And that was a fucking lot of driving. (laughs) Not a single car trace. (laughs) Quite a bit of driving. I mean, in the sense, but but ca- plenty of cars chasing tornadoes, and maybe at one point a, a, a car chased by a tornado, particularly oh, yeah, with no. that like F three, I think the like hopping F three. And it's yeah. worth mentioning, like the most egregious <laughs> moments in this film are the like uh, personification of oh. all storms. We and- love a personified <laughs> storm on the Disaster Girls pod. Bill has about just sensing. Yeah. <laughs> he can feel the storm, which, oh, yeah. you know, as a person is very frustrating. <laughs> but as somebody who loves the hurricane heist, that is extremely satisfying for me. I love a grudge against a storm. We have yeah. in this movie, we have Bill who can communicate with storms really telepathically. And then we have Joe who has a vendetta against weather. Well, <laughs> what was that? She had lifelong. Oh yeah. yeah. Lifelong. Well, yeah, the, the storm made her dad. If we're okay. Can we talk about that though? <laughs> yeah. Like let's, we'll start out by saying sorry, the movie kicks off with Joe's origin story where her dad is sucked out of their family storm cellar in Oklahoma in 1969 when a big ass tornado, the like the biggest of all tornadoes comes through, rips the door off the cellar and pulls her dad out of the storm, creating Joe's origin story, setting her on a life of needing to decode tornadoes for the good of all mankind. And she blames the storm. Yes. But why did that feel <laughs> the need to keep that door closed when, after he was pulled out with the door, everyone else remaining was perfectly fine and the door was not, it, it was a non-factor. You're right. I have a You're theory right. on that, and it ties back to Hurricane Heist. 
Now, Erin, I don't know if you've seen the hurricane heist. <laughs> Unfortunately, now I feel like I'm 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 on top of that. Oh, you got to. Because you'll <laughs> like it because it, it 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 is a disaster movie mixed with a heist movie with a message yeah. about climate change. And so you will yeah. appreciate how like fully they lean into there's a whole monologue about the dangers of climate change. Starring Jason from that. starring Jason from True Blood. Oh. Yeah. As, a, as a southern man once again which you know a, a cornerstone of our life together is is jason from true blood an australian actor playing a southern man so yes the the vend you're absolutely right Aaron. i think that's a good thing to start up with like yeah even in even even in this movie's realm of like the the believability that it establishes within itself storms are not selectively discriminating in that way so that that origin point is a bit of a betrayal from the power of weather in this movie, where it did leave, like you said, Joe's whole family behind, only summoning enough power individually to kill her father. Because but if the her father tornado ate just her dad, and then it was full. <laughs> but 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 if her dad had just not gone for the door, yeah, she would have yeah. been fine. So the movie starts yeah. out with her dad basically being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> As we learn, though, that's like a thing for her with men in her life, is that that really sets the stage for her to really want to be around a bunch of men who make really poor decisions in the face of tornadoes. Because we learn later that the origin story of how they met is that she's legitimately chasing a storm, and he just pulls up out of nowhere naked inexplicably, holding a bottle of alcohol, and then throws it at the tornado, and she's like, well, you should join my team. (laughs) <laughs> like, like you said it's the odds and ends folks I, but i've watched this movie so many times and this was the first time that i ever watched it and i was like oh wow she's a scientist he's just a dude who was drunk on the side of the road that she adopted and married <laughs> and just like, somehow with no scientific background whatsoever yeah. is going to become a meteorologist well he has Which, really good teeth by the way meteorologists are there are professional research meteorologists who do professional science and read doppler data and read scientific charts and data and so i mean he's going to be a really bad weatherman <laughs> you and, can and, you know just feel the weather like a- <laughs> You know what I it's like say- in Mean Girls when Karen has ESPN and so she can tell when it's raining because her boob starts to hurt? Yeah. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be out there. He's going to tell when it's raining because he can just sense it. And also, he grabs dirt and then <laughs> gently lets it go into the air as it just falls straight down and doesn't yeah. move in any direction whatsoever. <laughs> Somehow that helps him learn about tornadoes as well. I will say, as far as like, you know, Joe finding drunk Bill Paxton in the middle of a tornado and marrying him, that feels very much like the choice in heterosexuality for women. So it seems believable to me. Like, do do I wait for something better or do I pick this drunk moron in the middle of a storm throwing alcohol at a tornado? Well, I guess I'm going to go with that. Oh, so brave. <laughs> yeah, so, such alpha male behavior, really. <laughs> that earned him the name The Extreme. I mean, Joe doesn't deserve it. The Joe extreme. was standing there filming the tornado, standing there holding a video camera, filming the tornado. Dusty's clearly there watching her. 
but Bill Paxton pulling up naked earns the nickname The Extreme, not Joe, who spent her whole life chasing <laughs> tornadoes. And really, if you want to talk about the patriarchy in a nutshell, I would argue that that's the best argument there for about the patriarchy. That's a very is, great point. That's Joe has to do point. all that work, and all that Bill has to do is pull up naked and just fling a bottle of Jack into a tornado, and he's The Extreme. <laughs> And also, he is the hero of the team, right? I mean, when yeah. he comes back, everyone's so thrilled that he's returned. He's the one. He's the guy. He has the sense, the sixth sense. Meanwhile, she is the one who's developing the science and doing the research and dedicating her whole life. But he's the hero. Yeah. Yes. That's, and that's she's how that works. There. And important and now that we've now that we've mentioned the now that we've mentioned, you know, Joe being the actual scientist here, what she has developed, as Amanda mentioned earlier, is this system she calls Dorothy, which are these large um cylinders filled with sensors that are meant to be sort of put in the path of tornadoes. You burst the lid open on the cylinder, and then theoretically these little sensors fly up into the tornadoes and get internal data readings. Erin, is there anything you want to say about this piece of technology that Joe devises? Okay, good, actually. So, okay, so I have a few things to say, and I have my notes here, so I just want to, I want to get my notes up so I can, I can say it correctly. Okay, so, so here's the thing about, about Dorothy that I think is going to probably shock you, which is that it was based on a real, actual research project. Wait, seriously? Yes, it was real. Um, it happened in the 80s, I want to say the mid to late 80s. It was run by the National Severe Storm Laboratory. I don't know if you remember in the first few seconds of the movie. Yes, the, yes, yeah. the NSSL is so With the hot guy with the gray hair. After the introduction, and then yeah. they go to the NSSL, and they're looking, they're watching the Doppler radar, which is a real thing that NSL uses. And uh, by the way, they're a member of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So they're a division of NOAA. Oh, okay, okay. okay. NSSL is a real lab and they have a real satellite, which they do pan to early in the film, which is called GOES-8. And oh, okay. now today, Right now, this time they're on. They have goes seventeen, so that's how oh, much. Wow. Okay. Wow. Is a real atmospheric and scientific satellite that watches the Earth. It watches large parts of the Earth, um, okay. and it helps them determine weather. and um, And they study hurricanes with it. They study. They also study tornadoes with it. So they're on goes seventeen now, and actually next year in December they're going to launch goes eighteen. Wow. So okay. They, They've advanced quite a bit. So, okay, so, but in the 80s, NSSL did have a uh, a program called TOTO, uh, which, of course, in the film, they changed to Dorothy. But mm -hmm. in science, everything is an acronym. So, and this is really sort of where it, like, goes off course a little bit, <laughs> because mm -hmm. Science, a name is always an acronym. It's not, you know, but anyway, it is, you know, it was named Toto after okay. 
after the, uh, oh, what was the film? The What's Wizard of Oz. Done? Wizard of Oz. Thank you. Okay, so I can tell you, um, so Project Toto. So it didn't have tons of little sensors in it. It had, um, it had three major sensors. It was going to measure wind speed. It was going to measure temperature. It was, I can't remember what the third one was. And, um, and they attempted for many years to drop Toto mm-hmm. In the path of a hur- of a tornado, and okay. they never succeeded. One time, a small tornado sort of clipped it and knocked it over, which actually does happen in the film. Um, yes, but yes. eventually, they ended up abandoning the project because it was not possible. Uh, to do it. And then later, in later years, they developed other kinds of sensors that they did ultimately manage one time to get to into the path of a tornado, and they did learn a lot from it. But at no point was it going to be tons of tiny little sensors flying around, spinning around, because one of the things you have to like think about in a tornado is that they can get up to 318 miles an hour. That's the highest speed of a tornado. So of the cyclone in the Uh tornado. So when you drop something into a tornado, it is destroyed. (laughs) Yeah. These little tiny plastic sensor things that they're flinging around, they would never ever have survived spinning around in a tornado. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The project is real. It was a okay. real project. Yeah, okay, and they just never great. thought to drive a truck directly into the tornado, and that's why they couldn't get it upright. That makes perfect sense. No one was visionary in the same way that Bill was, that you just destroy right. an entire SUV, and then you're set. Right, because that's what science has. Endless amounts of money to destroy trucks. <laughs> I know the whole time when they said the thing about when she was like, we're running out of grant money. And I was like, that's real. And then later on when they had the, the, when Dorothy, they realized that it wasn't going to be able, that it was too light. It wasn't weighted down enough. And the thing spilled and all the sensors went everywhere. And I was like, oh, you don't have grant money because before you started doing this, you poured all your money into making a bunch of those. You never ran tests with like a trash can weighted down. <laughs> a lot of the problems this movie could have been solved if they had just been like, what if we just throw some trash cans in the path of a tornado and see if the machine, if the actual mechanism works? They didn't do that. And <laughs> they so, didn't do that. Well, and also yeah. they had, what, three or four of them? They I mean, that's, them. you know. Can you imagine scientists having four of a machine that they can just throw into a tornado and be like, yeah, these individual, you know, devices for measuring, I mean, these things are really expensive. So, I mean, you know, they they don't have endless, endless ability. So if you want to know actually what's something that I found really interesting while I was researching this is they actually are doing a project now today. Oh, okay. Called Taurus, T-O-R-U-S. And um, they're using a whole bunch of, like, if you want to, it's sort of like the modernization of this process. Mm -hmm. So in the 80s, they were trying to throw sensors into the path of hurricanes to see what happened. (laughs) And today, they are using unmanned aerial vehicles. So I was gonna say, is this drones? Or are they gonna use I, drones? Like, I feel like I feel like fly a drone into a hurricane is or a tornado is a great plan. Yes, they are. <laughs> flying. 
drones into tornadoes now they also speaking of hurricanes so i should just preface this by saying i i don't have a ton of personal uh reporting experience on tornadoes but i have done a lot of writing on hurricanes okay one thing that i got really excited about when i was basically fact checking this movie was that (laughs) this taurus project they're actually using the hurricane hunters, which are a very famous military um, airplane. Mm-hmm. These guys fly their airplane with all kinds of sensors and scientists on board the airplane wow. directly into hurricanes so okay. that they can measure all the information about what's going on in the hurricanes. These guys are no joke, and the Shit. scientists are on the airplanes with them are no joke. <laughs> wow. But, so they're using that with this tourist project. They've got the UAVs and then the hurricane hunters are assisting them, but they can't fly directly into the supercell uh, thunderstorms because there's too much hail and uh-huh. it's really dangerous. So it's actually more dangerous than flying into a hurricane. So what they do is they're flying right out in front of the thunderstorms that make the tornadoes in order to get data and sense what's going on in front. And then of Mm -hmm. course, they're still using Doppler radar, which is like the best thing still to this day. Doppler radar is the best way to determine wind speed and, um, and they still have big trucks that they drive out with huge satellite-looking dishes on them that, <laughs> do, you know, wavelengths of microwaves at the storms. And then they uh-huh. determine the storm speed by how the waves return. Okay, okay. Because of the way that the movement in the storm will change the, the way that the waves return to them. That's how Doppler works. So that's how they're able to tell the speed of the uh, tornado winds. Got it. Okay. Okay. And so, okay. So I'm glad we have that foundation. Like the, the Dorothy project is based on reality. Like it's kind of a, you know, a movie stylized analogous project to the Toto project from the 1980s. And then that is what is it? Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say that the NSSL, the National Severe Storm Laboratory did consult on the film and involved in helping them try to get some of the details right. Oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. And, and that is what is in the hands of our heroes. And fortunately this movie does not, you know, much like hurricane heist, we're not just dealing with, uh, the, the storm element as our adversary. We're dealing with the Carrie Elwes element as, as an adversary as well as Uh the opposing storm chasing team, which is of course, like the cool kids in school version with their sexy black SUVs, They've totally ripped off the design for Dorothy and created the Dot 3 technology, which they are trying to do the exact same thing as our motley crew of storm chasers by putting their technology into the path of a hurricane and being the first, being the pioneering science team to collect all this like incredible data from inside hurricane, uh, from tornadoes, so they can be like the the heroes of the day and help develop an earlier warning system and also just play into like the egomania of, uh, of Carrie Elwes, who is, I feel like if you... Or like as far as believability goes, like Carrie Elwes playing a complete bastard, he's really got a specific market of so smarmy son of a bitch to where I believed every bad thing about him immediately. And I was like, yes, this is a villain. I hate him. I'm rooting against him. I cannot wait for weather justice to end his life. And he has commercial backing. Yeah, I love <laughs> what is that? I love that like, the, I don't know. Corporate has, like, backing. 
Yeah, like fucking Therefore, Pepsi. Like he's a sellout. <laughs> it was it was the sellout is sellout logic. I love I love the idea that like Joe needs grant money. They're very concerned. They're gonna make get grant money. They're gonna do all these things, but he has money already. So clearly he can't be trusted. I mean, I would assume that like he has corporate money would. If you're talking about like a geology situation, which is my point of reference on this, would be like, oh, an oil company thinks that the things that you're going to do or like a water company is going to pay you to like, I actually, when I was in school, I I got paid by um, Arrow, I got paid by, I think it was Arrowhead to do like a summer program that basically like for six weeks to basically study the San Andreas Fault near where they pulled their water out down by by, uh, Palm Springs. And like, and analyze, not like do deep science, but like analyze the fault and come up with ideas about how you can mitigate destruction on it. So a lot of the time corporate, like co- there will be corporations who invest in science because it's to their benefit. Right, um, yeah. And like most scientists, as far as I can tell, are chasing that because a lot of the time that's really <laughs> great way to get yourself like a nice shiny black SUV and like find a way to let Dusty take a shower once a week. Like this is a good thing. <laughs> I think there's a very, there's a very important thing that like, this is an interesting transition out of, I feel like there was a sort of thread of something in the the eighties when like rich people could save us and we loved rich people. And I think the pioneer, I think the like archetypal movie of this is true Beverly Hills where like, <laughs> I realized as an adult is about a bunch of, ragtag let's put that in air quotes rich kids and entire movie you're supposed to look at the culver city working class red feathers and be like fuck those poor kids (laughs) (laughs) beverly hill like rich kids who have their whole lives handed to them on a platter and these red feathers who have a chip on their shoulder understandably are like, man, they just stomped in here and they're going to take the, they're going to take basically the Girl Scouts from us too. That fucking sucks and we're angry about it. And this movie is like, you know what? No, we're rejecting the excess of the 80s. We're rejecting the romanticization of, of the rich. And we're going to say, you know what? Unless you're making your fucking science at home in the garage, you're a piece of shit sellout. And you should have, we're not going to give you any respect. And I like that. You know, I was trying to think about like what would be the real world equivalent of this villain. And honestly, I think probably the best example would be the Storm Chasers TV show. Yeah. Um, I think you're so right. Which is, what was that, Discovery Channel or National Geographic? I can't remember which. A&E Discovery, one of those kinds of things. And I think, like, one of the most important things to, to, like, understand about storm chasing is that it is very much a hobby, and people that are storm chasing are not the professional scientists and that the storm chasers actually it's like a huge problem especially (laughs) after this film and the huge popularity of this film there are there was like an is still to this day an enormous uptick in hobbyists storm chasing now and building crazy armored vehicles (laughs) and and basically essentially creating traffic jams okay yeah 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 and there are even adventure companies that are taking people like oh, tourists no. and the the storm chasing show itself also and so now what we have like since the film are literally actual deaths happening of people being 
irresponsible or scientists who are actually doing professional work yeah. trying to get and and having accidents and having you know basically hobbyists be in the way creating car accidents because they are so desperately trying to recreate the excitement of this if the this extreme- movie was remade right now you're absolutely right the version yeah. of Perry Elwes's team would be a reality show team they'd be like They'd be like fucking Logan Paul. It would be like a YouTube channel prankster who decided that his next gig was going to be storm chasing. Right. Because oh, no, it, yeah. it's yeah. rare for scientists to actually be out doing actual storm chases. They do do it, but they do it rarely. It's okay. always part of a program. They'll be part of a larger research like this UAV mission that we were talking about goes for two years. They have 50 scientists that are doing all kinds of research. They're doing modeling. Computer modeling really is like the major thing that they would be doing. And then also, you know, wind tunnel laboratories indoors. It's very dangerous to chase storms. So scientists (laughs) are going to be really careful and they're not just going to be out there all the time. They do it occasionally, but like if you go on the NSSL website, they specifically have a like very large section on how storm chasers are hobbyists (laughs) and not (laughs) scientists. (laughs) I think it's kind of going back to the whole idea of like the, the corporate versus the not corporate is this is a Michael Creighton script. Um, and <laughs> well, and like there's one, you want to talk about like a corporate writer, but there's also, I was thinking as, as we were talking about it, I just was thinking about Alan Grant from Jurassic and Ellie Sattler oh, from Jurassic right, right, Park right. and like their setup and how they're basically the paleontology equivalent of Joe and Bill. Yeah, okay. um, they, they're 100% are until they like uh, begrudgingly agree to go work for this corporatist. And how much they hate it and how the entire message of that movie is like the dangers of working for a corporation are you'll end up <laughs> getting stalked by raptors. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. the, that's the message of that movie. And this is 100% just like, yeah, if you don't, if you're not authentic and keeping it 100 and driving around with your ragtag group of guys and you don't have, <laughs> and if you have matching SUVs, you deserve being thrown. Much like how the lawyer deserves to be eaten when he's on the toilet by a T-Rex. Yeah, yeah. kill the uh, lawyers. Yeah, be eaten. You'll be eaten by the tornado. If money. So where this movie's where this movie's action really picks up is we Bill has come back into the life of Joe because he needs her to sign those divorce papers so he can marry Jamie Gertz, the reproductive therapist. Well, in the middle of trying to get these papers signed, which Joe just pretty much has refused to do for I don't know years at this point, um, there's an F1 tornado that kicks up, and what's going to happen throughout the course of this movie is that there is a record-breaking storm cell converging over Oklahoma, where it's going to introduce us to the series of graduating uh, her um, torn tornadoes that are gonna just fuck up the state of Oklahoma for like I did days. appreciate that they went in sequential order that they were oh, not yeah. <laughs> that I appreciate that the tornadoes are like no we're not gonna we're not gonna let you see Beyonce immediately you got first well yeah no it's the it's video game boss logic of yeah. introducing for tornadoes no Aaron, so, is that how tornado supercells work do they go in increasing order for dramatic narrative purposes no absolutely absolutely not okay no. cool. Just they, to in fact they are wildly unpredictable okay and now that because like the f1 the f1 that we're introduced to is like mostly kind of a headache and it exists because they it's their first attempt at getting dorothy into a cyclone well mostly what the function is of the f1 in this movie is to put bill joe 
and Dr. Jamie Gertz in the same car together. Because obviously first attempt at Dorothy fucks up, rue it like Joe wrecks her car in the process of like trying to chase this storm. So they all end up in Bill's shiny new Dodge Ram. Sponsorship likely provided by Dodge Ram. And <laughs> they then like the first tornado is really, that's just, that's not even an appetizer. We really get into it with this movie is the second tornado, the F2, because we get the, what are they, Amanda, water spouts? They're water spouts. Yeah, we get the, the sisters, um, as they call them, of yes. water spouts, because that's what happens when a tornado goes over water. And one of probably the, I, like, to this day, I think one of the best jokes in a movie ever. Like, I, I still remember, like, I, I vividly remember seeing this movie in theaters. This was a, a defining moment. I don't know for you guys, but it definitely <laughs> was for me. Yes, I think it's for a defining moment for anyone who's ever seen this film. Yeah, no, like, but seeing it in theaters was like, oh, this is, it was just the perfect cinema experience. I was really more need scared. to release this movie when the oh my theaters God. are open. Oh, my I God. To see this this on a drive-in screen? Fucking IMAX screen. <laughs> I want to go see instead of drive-in. Yes. Um, Which we can do while socially distancing. Yes. yes. But, um, but yeah, but the, the, when we see the water spouts and she says, I got and she's on the phone with her, with her, with one of her clients, Dr. Jamie Gertz. And <laughs> she's poor. I like side note, before we get into all this, can we just side sidebar directly into how amazing of a character Melissa is entirely because of Jamie Gertz? Yes, because this, she could have been, she's meant to be packaged as like the annoying person that's keeping the one true pairing of Bill yeah. and part. But you you love Melissa. She has such you a heart. She's, you want her on screen. And she's only, this is a real, this is a real like pre-women speaking out kind of movie example. Because it's like, it's like watching Jerry Maguire and knowing that you were supposed to be pissed off at Kelly Preston at the start of the movie. When you watch, if you think of Jerry Maguire now, you're like, oh, so Kelly Preston was pissed off at her boyfriend for checking out and like being a no-count bastard. It's like, no, actually, Avery was fine and she was an ambitious woman and we shouldn't have ever been mad at her. We should have been mad at Jerry Maguire. And in this movie, it's like, you know what? Considering M Melissa, Dr. Janie Gertz, was being taken on a road trip to meet the woman who wouldn't sign divorce papers yeah. so she could marry her fiancé, she had a real fucking great attitude about the entire experience. It's, in, like, it's amazing. She, in any other movie, she would have been an antagonist. She and Joe would have yeah. butted heads. There was nothing but kindness between the two of them. Which is, well, I, I have to assume, was Joe's a, a little side eye. Like, Joe's a little she's judgmental. Joe's, she's like, this fucking woman? I think that Joe is more like, oh, this is a bad choice for you. I think she very clearly reads immediately, like, you haven't briefed her. You, she doesn't know half of what your life used to be. And you, I think, I like, the read I always get from it is that she very clearly doesn't think that Bill's been upfront about what his life was. And Clearly. that this poor woman has no idea what a fucking lunatic and like, she doesn't know the extreme. She doesn't know any of this. <laughs> She's completely unfamiliar with the concept of tornadoes, apparently. Like, Jamie yes, Gertz, bless her heart with a southern accent, like Jamie Gertz from Texas somehow doesn't know anything about tornadoes. But it could have so easily been that she was the bitchy other woman that we're supposed to right. hate in the face of Helen Hunt's good salt of the earthness. And like when she's in the back seat between with Joe at, I a hundred percent, I'm like in my head, there was a cut scene where the two of them where Joe's like, no, 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 you take the front seat. And Jamie Gertz is like, no, no, no. 
you should be in the front seat. You know what you're doing. I'll sit in the back. And she's like 100% okay doing it because Jamie Gertz is that good of a person. <laughs> well, and don't forget also, they she, he, he kept giving her opportunities to go home and not yeah. hang out. And she kept saying, no, I, I want to see your life and your history. And I want to tag along and be part of this because I'm genuinely interested in it. Yeah. And she it, was it, trying. Yeah. It's just a great, it's just also a great insertion into like the silliest storm in the movie, which is the sister <laughs> water spouse, yeah. while Dr. Jamie Gertz is on the phone doing reproductive counseling with her <laughs> patients while Bill and Joe are screaming at each other. And we get like, for some reason, the line about this movie that sticks out to me the most. Everybody, like, that's at, the best line the, in the movie. No, for me, it's Julia going, I gotta go, Julia, we got cows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I agree. That actual cow, another cow, I think that's the yeah. same cow. Is a yeah. same one is a good line, but Julia, I gotta go. We I got gotta cows. go, Julia. We got cows, and like the so level great. of distress on is so like yes, Julia. I gotta go. There are cows. Like it is so. It is something that is just like a sight gag with like a cow looking like it's flying through water in the air. Be something that just like really sells the absurdity of the moment. It's like yeah, it is that fucking ridiculous yeah and it's a great moment that's it's it's such a it's such a perfect moment and that's why she's so great and that's why her arc within this movie is such a wonderful arc and when she at the end of like at the midpoint or like two-thirds of the way through the movie she goes home and she's like after she's heard bill basically admit that he's still in love with joe yeah yeah and she doesn't have a confrontation with them she just is like i'm gonna go it's it, it i won't be at the motel when you get back i'm gonna leave now and and he's and she and she's like, don't worry about me. I know my way home. And I just like in that moment, watching it again as an adult today, I was just like, <laughs> I want, I want the romantic comedy about Jamie, Doctor Jamie Gertz, yeah. deciding to pick <laughs> yeah. up her life and move to a new city, and then like under the Tuscan sunnet. I want to follow <laughs> wherever this character wants to go. I'm in because in that moment, it's just like she's. Jamie Gertz did such an amazing thing with such a thankless, potentially thankless role. My 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 science question here at this moment is: is that level, is that threshold of Twister capable of picking up, even <laughs> if it is exaggerated for a, a movie? And so, capable of picking up and and swirling that around an animal. That's an F two. That's an F two. That was an F two. Okay, yeah. so I have I have two things I want to say about that. The okay. first thing is we let's get to the F in in a second because I have a bunch of things I want to tell you about the F scale. But first, I, I did look up, like, um, historical uh, stories about flying animals <laughs> um, that have happened throughout the history of tornadoes. And it seems to be mostly smaller. So that we have stories about, like, raining fish and frogs seem to be the most common, like fish and frogs raining. There are also some stories about worms raining. Um, <laughs> But my favorite one, and now hold on, I just have to switch. Okay, so my favorite one is from 1887 in the New York Times. And I want to do the report from Dr. J.L. Smith of Silverton Township, where he says, while opening up a new turpentine farm, he noticed something fall to the ground and crawl toward the tent where he was sitting. On examining the object, he found it to be an alligator. 
Smith went on to find himself surrounded by eight alligators in total, which had apparently been dropped from the sky by a distant water spout. Whoa. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> straight again. So it's basically, you know, like a Sharknado with alligators. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eight alligators. So it's not, so what I'm saying is it's not impossible. Okay. 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 So, <laughs> so let's talk about the F scale because right. it's something that they sort of, they kind of, they, they get it wrong in a bunch of ways in okay. the um, so the first thing that we should talk about with the strength and size of tornadoes mm-hmm. is that the size of the tornado does not necessarily mean that it is strong okay. or weak. So very small, very small width tornadoes that are, you know, not long across at all can yeah. be F5s. Okay. And very huge, enormous, wide tornadoes can be F1s. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's the first thing to understand. And then the second thing to understand is that the F scale is determined by the amount of debris and damage. Okay. It's really difficult for them in the moment to be measuring the wind speed. So the the amount of debris and damage can give them an idea of the of the wind speed, but they don't know until afterwards. So every time in the film, when they say, we have a report of an F4 tornado, you know, dive in this direction, they wouldn't know until afterwards. And then, you know, also in the film, the the tornadoes get progressively larger and wider and- And that's just not, you know, not indicative. The early tornado that was really tiny could easily have been an F5. Wow. Okay. So then the other thing to know about the F scale is that it actually was not developed until the early seventies. So in the, in the very beginning of the film, when they are talking about it's 1969 right. and they're talking about an F5 tornado, they would not have known that that scale was not developed yet. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so, and then also I want to tell you, so I can read you um, some of the uh, ways that they determine the F scale. I have actually the F scale up right here. So, <laughs> Great. so we have that, so it goes from F0 to F5. And so the F2, you're asking if it could carry a cow. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So yes, it, it probably could. Two is has a wind speed from 113 to 157 miles per hour, and the description of damage that it does is tearing uh, the roofs off of houses, demolishing weak buildings, uh, demolishing trailers, and actually tra- trailers get demolished quite often because they're very small and they're generally weak. So even an F1 could push over or overturn a trailer. Right. Uh, so the F2 can snap trees or uproot trees. It can pull over railroad boxcars. And um, it says light object missiles are, can be generated. <laughs> <laughs> light object <laughs> missiles missiles and then cars can be blown off the highway so um i think you know honestly it's hard to say i guess it would depend on the weight of a cow maybe a small cow maybe yeah, the okay. average weight of a cow i just googled was 1600 pounds so 
Maybe it could push a cow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If could, I, I, I not, think that we'd have to get bigger to get a cow. Yeah, I think we'd have to go bigger in order to get cows fully flying through the air, <laughs> given what you just read. Like, yeah, if, it's, if, it, it'll, if it'll blow a car off of the highway, we got to go bigger. Okay, so before we get into the F three in the in in Aaron's index, because we can we can cover this now as we graduate, we can do we can explain the the size. Some interesting facts to tell you later about F five tornadoes. Okay, great, great. So get excited. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get such a we get a true highlight in the entire disaster movie canon when after the F two, the team decides to regroup in Wakita at Joe's aunt Meg's house and. This is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think, more so than like the thrill of the chase. I want to believe that the lunch at Aunt Meg's house is what inspired a lot of people to become like fraternities of storm chasers, because who does not want to go to Lois Smith's house where she's going to feed you steaks from her freshly slaughtered beef and just like provide a feast for you after a hard day's workout on the plains. I mean, what I that is the scene in this movie that actually makes like draws me the most toward these people is because like, oh my god, look at all these best friends who basically are just like at summer camp for the rest of their lives. It creates this, a community. It's a community, it's a great little community of of little misfit toys. And it is also <laughs> a location where we like in earnest see that Joe is falling for the extreme again. She's falling for Bill. And uh that so we get the love story pushed before they are pulled out of their collegial um revelry because there is an F3 tornado and they've got to get back out there on the job. Did, you know, when they tell you, know, those like that meme that was going around where everyone was like, what was a, a movie meal that just has stuck in your mind your whole life of like right, the best right. meal? That, the steak, potatoes, and there's the never been a better steak ever than the steak on those plates. <laughs> yeah, well, so fresh. So oh. they fling that steak down in front of Dr. Jamie Gertz and she oh. kind of like looks at it in confusion and shock. I was like, Dr. Jamie Gertz, there's no world in which I don't believe you wouldn't tear into that. Like, no, yeah, you're, from the south. you're from the south, Dr. Yeah. Jamie Gertz. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, that was like the one the on one tempe. false moment in that whole like maybe she was thrown off because Dusty Dusty's like hero worship of Bill. Yeah, Dusty, who that, is a young and scrappy Philip Seymour. Oh my Hoffman. god. Amazing casting. Yes. Such yes. Rake, yeah. This has like the, in the same way that Volcano has that amazing the Don Cheadle casting and just like hell yeah. This is <laughs> this is a this is a bit part for an actor who just makes a like an entire day of it. <laughs> this movie, Alan Ruck is it? Alan Ruck is Rabbit, who was the best, yep. who's Cameron. Rabbit. And, Rabbit is good. Rabbit is wise. Rabbit is wise. I just, everything, <laughs> like every single character in this is just, they make just this entire care. They, they do so much with this small character, these small moments. You're just like, hell yeah, I want to spend the rest of my life with those people. Um, even though Dusty's super creepy. Like, <laughs> super so when when yeah, she recoiled Dusty, in Dusty horror, I was, inappropriate. He's he holds her hand. He holds Doctor Jamie Gertz's hand every single time he is next to her. <laughs> it is like a small child trying to cross the street with their mother. Like every single I, I when Bill puts her after that into Dusty's car, and he and and he and Joe drive off together, and she's I'm like you couldn't put her in with Rabbit. 
Yeah, like the, seriously. There was no other car. You had to put her with Dusty. Like there wasn't there. That had to be the moment. And realistically, that would have been the moment in Dr. Jamie Gertz's mind when she knew her marriage was not happening. Because it was like, yeah. wow, this man hates me and has no regard for my comfort or safety. <laughs> I just I, I felt so bad for her the whole time. Like, you know, that car doesn't smell good. <laughs> you know that there is there are food wrappers all over that seat. Like nothing about that car is a pleasant experience. And on top of that, the whole time, he's going to be telling stories about Bill that make you seriously question every. Oh, they're going to be so. Life. They're going to be so homoerotic. Basically, like, <laughs> he's got he's he's got it bad. He's got it bad. And you know, good. You know, I wish him happiness in this life. I do have to say, I forget. I forgot. Uh, to mention that there is the greatness of like that one of the great moments in that house scene at Aunt May's Meg's is when Helen Hunt is like going up to take her shower. I would like she has like her hair in that like pencil bun. Oh and I was God. just like, oh, my God, is this the coolest, prettiest woman who's ever lived? Like that image of like yeah. her kind of muddy in a white tank top with the pencil yes! in her hair. I was like, this is so aspirationally fucking cool. Like this is as cool as a person could be as a grown up. Well, and Helen Hunt's hair, her hair throughout the film is absolutely iconic. And it is just so gloriously silky. And now let me tell you, as a extremely curly haired Jew, (laughs) with even when I straightened my hair, could not even dream to come close to Helen Hunt's hair in this film. It is just like, it's, uh, uh, glorious and the way that it just you know slides around back and forth on her head and even the when bangs, it's perfectly all the bangs things it's so good yeah I mean and, and the white tank top and the fact that she wears a sports bra I was like yep. respect that is some great costume I every time I am in the I was in the field like doing like any sort of field work every single time in my head I looked like her and in reality <laughs> But that was like the in my head. I'm like, yes, that is the vision. Be Helen Hunt in Twister. Wear the tank top. Like that is. I. She's not in hiking. She's in like linen pants or something. She's, Just cargo pant, I think. It it looks like a light linen. I am not. I am not. I am not judging her for it. I don't know how it stayed so impeccable and unwrinkled through the entirety of this movie, except that it's the power of Helen Hunt. Yeah, which is power indeed. Yeah, like that shirt. Any on an, on a mere mortal, that shirt would have massive yellow sweat rings on the underarms. <laughs> <laughs> she would have spilled gravy on herself multiple times at Aunt Meg's. Like, oh my God, the gravy! The gravy on that white tank top. Oh God, it looked so delicious. And yet, and yet, Helen Hunt, the power of Helen Hunt is so strong. <laughs> but yeah, the the hair in a pencil bun, and then she takes it down, and you're oh. just like, why? Mere mortals couldn't try. What a heroine. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, she's, so then our no, I was gonna say like in the same way that Lin that like Linda Hamilton is sort of like the yeah. butch equivalent yes. of that. It's like in terms of on that sliding scale of of women in tank tops in nineties cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean I, I my my affinity for tank top horror is well documented at this point. I, I know. So. We, you know, that we've left the tank top behind in certain ways, and I, I mourn that. Um, 
But that brings us to the F3, where uh, this is sort of a this is a real emotional climax of the movie because Joe is is so dead set on getting Dorothy two into this F3, and it's her and Bill go out because, like we've established, Melissa stays back with Dusty, so it's just Bill and Joe in the Dodge Ram, and you know there's basically a confrontation in the road between Joe and a tornado because yeah. she refuses to accept that Dorothy too is not going to like launch into this, you know, twister and fulfill its research purposes. So then there's the fight in the street between Bill and Joe, where he basically tells her that he's still in love with her. And he doesn't know that Jamie, Dr. Jamie Gertz is listening on the PA on the other end and realizing that like her whole romantic life is falling apart. But what can we learn about the F3 from you, Aaron, now that we've entered this stage of the movie? Okay, so I will read you the F-scale assessment of an F3. <laughs> so the F is, it's 158 to 206 miles per hour, the wind speed. So this is what the damage description is. Uh, roofs and walls are, some walls, torn off of frame houses. Some buildings, rural buildings, will be completely demolished. Trains are overturned. Wow. Steel frame hangar warehouse structures are born. Mm -hmm. uh, cars are lifted off of the ground. Most trees in a forest uprooted, snapped, or leveled. Wow. So we're getting significantly more damaging and scary. All right, so F3 is the, is the cow flinger. Right. It seems like between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think F3 is the one where we would get we would get cows flying. Well, yeah. it sounds like does that like with those wind speeds increasing, are we is that like an exponential increase in damage as opposed to like a linear increase in damage as the scale gets higher? Well, it doesn't sound like it's based off of math. It's based off of damage after the fact, right? Right. Right. I mean, they are only making the decision yeah. about the the size of the tornado or the the strength of the tornado, excuse me, has nothing to do with size based on looking at the damage, assessing the damage and saying, okay, this is enough damage to have been done by. So I, I actually think it is probably linear because okay, we're just okay. talking about like an increase in wind speed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. And <laughs> good. Sorry. Now, Guys, yes, I'm going to interrupt to be juvenile for a second. It's not the size of the tornado that matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's the amount of damage. I mean, there we go. I'm Joe, so sorry. I'm Joe so sorry. would disagree. Joe would disagree. Not the size of the tornado that matters is whether or not it can get that cow off the air. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> um, okay, I I'm sorry. I won't talk again. I simply could not. Um, and so this is like, this is where we have, it's like the, it's, it's our basically face in the hurricane moment of Joe irrationally this is very in line with the character of Joe. Like the panic that she has in this road that her device is not going to work and that she's not going to get her retribution, her science retribution on the weather. <laughs> it's a beautiful breakdown by Helen Hunt that I felt emotionally invested in all the way. I just Yeah, I, I agree because yeah. she's a great actress. I definitely at that point started to wonder like how often it was intensified by the next tornado. I was like, how many times has she just stood there having a PTSD flashback? Yes. Staring at a tornado, 
and had to have somebody else. Like, how has she made it this far? Because we've now seen Bill pa- we've now seen Bill try to pull Joe away from tornadoes multiple times. Yeah. Where she just is like stuck staring at it. The way that I or you, Jordan, or any of us, since we're not tornado livers. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't live in an area with a tornado and if I saw yeah. one I would also stand there slack jawed staring at it while my hair flows in the wind majestically <laughs> <laughs> but I would I would have to think that at this point Joe no longer has that response it's not like with you have like a volcanologist who sees a, a, a volcano and every single time they see a volcano they just have to stand there until their partner pulls them out of the way <laughs> I mean it's I, definitely not conducive to achieving the goals of her research <laughs> thing that I do have to ask is if Bill is the only one that's ever pulling her away, right. how has she not been scooped up by every tornado that's come before while he's been gone? I mean, he's the only one that seems to be saving her and, and getting yeah. her snap out of it. And to the and to the point earlier, clearly hell Joe is the extreme. Yeah. Right, but she's the one who seems to stare death in the face on a yeah. regular basis. Yeah, Joe is the extreme. We saw her literally try to crawl out from under that bridge. Like, <laughs> Saying, I want to see it. Towards the tornado. Oh, you're right. That was the F1, yeah. wasn't it? Where she, I want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> was the one who was pulling her away. Although, And also, by the way, can we just note the moment where, he, where they do the exposition, where they're running under the bridge, and he's says grab onto something and she says i know (laughs) (laughs) and yet in that moment it's like she has never seen a tornado before where she's like i want to see it yeah you see these all of the time joe (laughs) then he has he's not even on the job for the last however long I don't know, like, why, like, even if she wanted to see the tornado, wouldn't she also be logically registering? But also there's a car pointed at me. (laughs) The I want to see it is such a weird, it's such a weird instinct and it keeps coming back. And so I, yeah, that, that little bit of like, what is, what is Joe's thing with this? Um, But it's Helen Hunt. So I I let it pass. (laughs) I let it it pass. Um, And that brings us to the, the movie's real, like, key horror scene uh mm-hmm. which i still get chills when i watch this it's the it's it's the our introduction oh. to the f4 and so they they go to some like they're at some like outdoor like they're at like by they're at like a motel it's like i think it's by like a drive-in theater where the shining is playing in the background which is a nice touch and joe having been emotionally confronted by bill in the road is like well that was too real so i'm going to sign these divorce papers now but meanwhile uh, Melissa has decided not to marry Bill, so she doesn't need to sign those divorce papers anymore because May- Bill is uh, no longer Bill's no longer the man in her life because she just basically heard that he emotionally is not in it to win it with her, and that is completely legitimate. And I completely believed that Bill would be oblivious in this moment to when like Melissa's like, "I'm gonna go home, like I'm leaving you," and he's like, "What? Why?" It's like, well, because you've been shirking me off for a couple days now putting me in harm's way and sitting me with your creepiest friend at the lunch table (laughs) why the fuck do you think i would be leaving bill but also of course bill wouldn't know but he's completely oblivious to her for the entire film 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he barely recognizes her existence. And I think the thing, though, that is interesting about it is that he's not just mesmerized by Helen Hunt. Yes. He's also yes. re-mesmerized by this magical power he has <laughs> yeah. with his magical, you know, human instinct connection <laughs> to the tornadoes, which, you know, he sort of shares that with... Helen's character as well. I mean, they both have like some sort of super power connection to the tornadoes. They are X Men. Yes, they yes. ultimately are meteorology X Men. And <laughs> the drive-in theater repair shop, like adjacency where they're hanging out, uh, the 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 F the F four arrives, and gloriously, we don't see the full scope of it like we have with the previous tornadoes. We just see like the wall of it. And then there's lightning, and so we'll see the edge of the tornado, and that's and that is the we hear it throughout the movie, but this is really the scene where we hear yeah. the tornado growl, yeah. most <laughs> most predominantly, adding this like stalking you through the woods grizzly bear element to it, <laughs> that is just such an incredible touch to bring the maliciousness of the weather to life. And it literally comes out of the dark. <laughs> yeah, no one, not a sound until it's right on top of them. <laughs> and this, I feel like the first time where the tornado actually feels terrifying. Exactly. Oh, it's exactly it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. The I fact was, that, like, like the par they parallel it directly with like Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining driving an axe through a door to murder Shelley Duvall. This is the p analogous meteorological phenomenon is an F4 tornado coming to like rip your fucking house down and kill you. I, I mean, it's, it's excellent. It, it makes the, it makes tornadoes into serial killers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I never like the fact that it makes the growling hungry sounds. Yes. Hungry. I have very no hungry. idea. I have no idea what tornadoes actually sound like, but the <laughs> fact that it always sounds like it's hungry. <laughs> is one of my favorite things because that adds so much menace to the whole thing. It does go back to that personification of the tornado that like, it is not just a, a, this a is weather not event. Random. It's fucking following it's coming for people. It is hungry. It <laughs> wants to eat Helen Hunt and that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> and like that, at, and then it finally at the end, when it does finally get a taste of Helen Hunt, it disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Having found um, closure. It's yeah. not done with her yet, though. <laughs> what? But now, yeah, Aaron, what, what does an F4 So mean? I will tell you that I was reading a bit about what tornadoes sound like. And um, a lot of people who have experienced large tornadoes say that it sounds like a jet engine. Okay. So I think you can think of, like, you know, the loudest, most high-powered fan. You've, it's not okay. quiet. Uh -huh, it's uh -huh. certainly not growling. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Screaming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the F4 the second powerful possible. The scale only goes from zero to five. So the F4 is a wind speed from 207 miles per hour to 260 miles per hour. So here we have the damage description. Uh, whole frame houses leveled, leaving piles of debris. Steel structures badly damaged. Trees debarked by fall sm by small flying debris. Oh my god! Yeah, 
I mean, talk about missiles before. This is like much more than small missiles. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cars and trains thrown some distance or rolled considerable distance. Wow. And now we have large missiles are generated. <laughs> oh my God. Large missiles. But really, the what we see, the, this is maybe, I would like to think Hurricane Heist is a throwback to Twister in this way. Yes. Because the most dangerous flying object in the F4 situation where everybody's hiding out in a repair shop is the flying hubcap that slices that one guy from the, the tornado chaser team across the forehead. Which I think, like, realistically, if he was really in a F4... Uh, tornado would have m- killed him, maybe decapitated him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, 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 that definitely clean open. I was 260 miles per hour. That is so strong. Oh my oh God. God. Well, and that's yeah. when we learn the devastating, because this family, this, these tornadoes are hunting the Thornton family, Joe Thornton. Uh, Dusty shows up and gravely breaks the news to Joe that the hurricane, the F4, went was headed straight for Wakita, which means it was headed for Aunt Meg's house. So the team disembarks like crazy uh, to get to Wakita. They find Aunt May's house fucking destroyed in accordance with the F4 scale. And the entire neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that in that way that like I forget the town that not too long ago, maybe it was a couple years now, was in Kansas, full wiped off the map by a tornado. Oh, yeah. Like, just gone. I think it was 35 or 45 people were killed in that particular tornado. Jesus. And that, yeah. I mean, and that was what that that order of devastation looked like. And, you know, of course, they find Aunt Meg inside. She's alive, but she's in bad shape. They get her out. And Joe, and there's that great moment between Aunt Meg and Joe <clears throat> where she's like, we didn't have any warning. We didn't have any time to get out, Joe. <laughs> The people, we didn't have any warning. And Joe is just like, this is, of course, like the ghost that has been haunting her her entire life. <laughs> Further cementing her her certainty that she needs to get Dorothy into a storm. She needs to make this work so they can revolutionize the storm warning system. And then she realizes, well, like, Dorothy's too light. That's why we haven't been able to get her to, like, stay grounded. And the little sensors inside, they just have, like, been falling on the ground. So they decide to put little propellers on every one of the sensors using cans in a scene that I, for some reason, love so much. Just watching them. I thought watching them cut out those little circles and seeing their bleeding hands from like having razor sharp aluminum in their hands. I always appreciated that little detail. Like, yeah, that would cut their level of dedication to science. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And this, you guys, they're not afraid. And like we talked about before, those other corporate losers are total sellouts. Your science better be devised by fucking scotch tape and aluminum cans. Otherwise, you're not real. Duct tape. Yeah. They use duct tape, and I will 100% vouch for the fact that duct tape is vital to most science organizations. (laughs) 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 The things that is realistic about this is just the simple fact that most scientific instruments and scientific endeavors are not always provided to you and that many 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 scientists are also little you know mini gadget engineers and building things themselves to try to you know like i know a i I know a narwhal scientist (laughs) 
studies narwhal tusks, and he wanted to put a tube around a narwhal tusk that had sensors in it to try to understand better what was happening with that narwhal tusk. That he couldn't just go to the store and buy that. No. He to yeah. build it himself, and this is a very common thing that scientists do is build it themselves. However, I will I say Nika McKinnon did tell us gonna, that she could gonna, build a missile guidance system with like a fucking PlayStation. With an Xbox, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, going back to Mika, to Mika on San Andreas, she was talking about how when you're out in the field, sometimes when you've got, um, when you want to take the readings um, of like, I can't remember what, it, but she, you sometimes have to, she, she talks about having to rig stuff out in the field. Yeah. That sometimes it like your sensor stops working and you just got to do it. Yeah. And so you use your you use your walkie-talkie was what she talked about was that she had done it with a walkie-talkie. They are oh trying to build specifically to measure wind speed and temperature and these do it already exist. They would not have had to makeshift them. So yes, what they would have to do is they would then have to put it inside of those little plastic balls that you get at the uh, bowling alley when you go into the twenty-five cent machines. <laughs> Right. And those don't have little those don't have little fins on them, so you gotta add those. <laughs> Easily able to hold up to two hundred and sixty mile an hour and up winds, no problem. Well, have you ever tried to open one of those, Aaron? They're really hard to open. <laughs> <laughs> and this means, since we have graduated past the F four now, that the storm awaits can we just also make sure that we make a note of the fact when she's driving into town, they, she drives past that perfectly statuesque and perfectly situated family yes. that is representation of her family, the father, the mother yes. in the same nightgown, and the little girl. Yep. Just reminding her. Because <laughs> as, <laughs> as if she's ever forgotten. What she has lost and who she is fighting for. <laughs> I gotta say, when Meg says you have to stop it, and I was just like, yeah. what's she gonna, like, Meg, do you not understand what kind of science she does? Right. Because Stopping I can promise you really she's not gonna order. stop tornadoes. Yeah, I was telling you that on the NSSL website, they do have a lot of discussion about this movie on that website and busting this. And one of the things they do want you to know is that you cannot stop a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> See, and if Meg had read the NSSL website back in 96, she would have known. <laughs> it's, it, I will, like, also, I, I just going back to Dusty for a second, when they're in the house, Joe and Bill are in the house and the house starts to collapse and Joe and Bill are still both in there and Dusty is only yelling for Aunt Meg and Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I I had to pause it for a second. He's like, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman so much in this, but also what the fuck, Dusty? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, his whole character is just a really substantial what the fuck. Yeah. In that oddity way that Philip Seymour Hoffman was so good at, um, and as Aaron said, like the, the fight continues, yeah. which brings us to the, the final boss, the F5, the finger of God, as it is described <laughs> by, I believe it is, uh, Jason, the character, is that preacher who says that? It's, 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 a uh, no one with all the teeth. It's Busey's brother. No, that, no, the, the finger of God, that's not, that's not the Busey, is it? Yeah, I think it's the B. I, it's no, well, because it's the old man, and Jake Busey would have been much younger than that guy. It's oh no, sorry, it's Sanders. Sanders, it's, it's, it's Alan it's, Sanders. Sorry, yeah, Alan Sanders, 
Uh, as I didn't he, know. I don't know who who Busey is. I just was like, he has a lot of teeth, like Gary Busey. So I assumed worked, it was his brother. I think I think he works for the. I think he works for the bad guys. Okay. Um, and so yeah, we encounter and the we the majesty of the moment when we behold the F five as an audience in 1996 for the first time. It is a mile across, and this thing looks fucking epic. I mean, what? a sight that they, that this movie was nominated for best best sound editing and best visual effects at the Academy Awards inexplicably lost out on VFX to the English patient. Oh, that is Harvey Weinstein's fault. Like <laughs> that's bullshit. That, based, no, that's, a, that's a hundred percent Harvey Weinstein just being a motherfucker. Based on nothing else than the incredible scope of the f5 rendering and we really do see some big missiles being launched by this <laughs> storm as it is using i'm going to say using because these storms have personalities it is using like gas trucks as grenades <laughs> to throw at the scientists as they approach and here's my question to the science crowd how long do tornadoes tend to keep their form like okay of this storm staying whole realistic so yes actually and i was actually surprised to find this so the average tornado only lasts about five minutes okay and it can last less than that but that's just on average tornadoes last about five minutes but tornadoes can last up to several hours what really Yes, and they can travel great distances. I mean, they have some stories about some large tornadoes traveling 80 miles. Whoa. And and tornadoes can be completely stationary or they can move at a speed of 10 to 20 miles per hour. Wow. So, you know, they can So if they're going 20 miles an hour, traveling 80 miles, you know, it might not actually even take them that long. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it I but it is realistic that the tornado could last you know, much longer than the ones that we've seen in the film. Okay. That would last, I mean, that, okay, I, I'm never going in the middle of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird, Aaron. Like, that's I, a four I, hour I, long man, I figured tornado. you had your trips booked already to get to the Midwest. Wait, 20 miles an hour. Yeah, it's a four hour long tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Are you and, kidding me? And we finally, uh, Joe and Bill are going to get their last Dorothy into the middle of this twister by basically driving dangerously close to it and then just setting... And fortunately, the path of this tornado is huge because it's a mile fucking across. So it's like they're really throwing a baseball at a barn door on this one. And, well, <laughs> a tree a tree missile basically gets launched out of the, out of the tornado, upends uh, the second-to-last Dorothy... And it doesn't, so that one's out of commission. Well, then they realize the only way this is going to work is if we anchor our last one to a truck. And so they end up in a cornfield right in the path of, like, adjacent to the path of this tornado. They basically set the car on cruise control, hit the gas, and they they dive bomb out of the truck, sending their final Dorothy into the center of this cyclone. It works. They've got their meter. They've got their little sensors, whirly gigs flying around inside this thing. And we get that great dramatic moment of Joe shouting, go, go. 
go! <laughs> truck and the sensors, like she's willing them to their final destination. And we see like the, the funnels being mapped out, the computers generating all this data. Well then, because the tornadoes are hunting Joe, it switches course and starts coming right for her and Bill. It chases her. And it does this is, come, it starts fully chasing, which is fully, amazing. Fully chasing. And this is where the we really pitch reality out the window. Because, well, first of all, we should recognize that Bill and Joe go to take refuge in a barn. <laughs> <laughs> the second greatest line in the film. Yes. Filled with animal slaughter equipment. Just flying knives. Flying fucking weapons on these walls. And they look around, you just see the things clanging, and you hear Joe just go, Who are these people? (laughs) (laughs) Who are these people? As it like land, like livestock slaughter would never occur to her in like the, the beef heart of America and she's like well these are fucking serial killers like we just walked to Wolf Creek in the middle of a goddamn F5 tornado and that is when we get to see some of those amazing missiles as a picket fence is launched like fucking spears through the side of this barn and lodging in the walls opposite Bill and Joe where they are attempting to not be impaled and it is just I mean the the point where the storm is now a serial killer and there is a serial killer's workshop having weapons thrown at them is is just an incredible choice on behalf of Jan DeBont and and cinema really this is a win for cinema this whole <laughs> because then- a, a mile wide tornado is not scary yeah. On no, its own. no, no, a mile oh. wide tornado that's hunting you. That's the fear. That right there. Like shark's not scary. Shark with a vendetta, that's scary. That is scary. That is exa- yeah, a shark with a mission is terrifying. Yeah. A shark that's- in a tornado. Yeah. Meth sharks with a mission are terrifying <laughs> for that. And so then they end like they they run out of the murder barn and they end up in like basically like a water pump shed and they tie themselves they fasten themselves like a leather strap to this pole that like lodges deep in the ground and then the twister washes right over them and they're in the middle of it and some fucking how escape any abrasion whatsoever by the deadly debris that is flying around at what speed would this be, Aaron, in an F5 tornado? All right, I have a lot of things to say. (laughs) I have so many things to say about this sequence. I don't even know where to begin. I'll begin with, I'll 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 read you the F scale first, and then I have a lot of things to tell you. Okay, so the F5, that's the highest on the scale. The wind speed is from 200 and 61 to 318 miles per hour. Oh my God. Uh, 318 being the highest measured uh, wind speed. Of course, it's possible that that there have been higher, but because tornadoes are so difficult to study, um, especially, you know, to get close enough to them to study their wind speed, 318 is what we have. Okay. Whole frame houses will be tossed off of their foundations. Steel reinforced concrete structures are badly damaged. 
automobile sized missiles are generated, <laughs> which we do see. Uh-huh. And then the final um, and the final note on the F five uh, scale is incredible phenomena can occur. <laughs> wow, what a blanket statement. At that point, yeah. Incredible phenomena can occur. Let me tell you some things about F5 tornadoes. Okay, so there are an average, just of the regular regular tornadoes every year in the U.S., there are about 1,200 tornadoes every year. Um, And... The F, there have been 59 F5 tornadoes in the U.S. since 1950. Wow, okay. So we're averaging about less than one F5 tornado per year in the U.S. And so sometimes they happen every single one per year. Sometimes there will go several years without having them. And sometimes we'll have multiple of them in a year. Right. Um, in 2013... Um, in Oklahoma was uh, was an F5 tornado, and this F5 tornado was 2.6 miles wide. So oh, the that is, that is twice what we see in this movie. Well, three times, right? Because it's almost three miles wide, and in the movie they say it's just one mile wide. So actually, the film underestimates the F5 tornado actually significantly because if we're talking about automobile sized missiles that an automobile is moving at the speed of a missile there's no way that this f5 tornado is passing over you and not i mean just getting blasted in the face with 318 miles per hour you're not i don't see how you're surviving that dust it has to be dust would rip through your skin like razors Right. I mean, just the dirt. pipe going 30 feet down doesn't matter because the pipe's above ground. So that pipe is completely like ripped off of like part of that pipe is completely ripped apart. The pipe is completely irrelevant. Your leather straps are irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even need debris at this point, 318 miles per hour wind. If that is turning an automobile into a missile, <laughs> what is it doing just to your physical body? Yeah, your skin would be sandpapered off. Yeah, I mean, or it's just pulling your arm off. I mean, (laughs) not surviving. I don't see how you're surviving that. So, you guys, the takeoff speed for a jetliner is only it maxes out at about 177 miles per hour. (laughs) This is the speed of a jetliner. Okay, so then the other thing to say about this sequence, I mean, already our disbelief has been suspended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is that tornadoes don't actually really have eyes. They're not hurricanes. Oh, okay, right. okay. In this, we see the little little tornado within the bigger tornado that makes it seem like there is a sort of eye inside. So in my head, that little tornado was like when the alien is wearing another human, like is wearing a human suit. I was like, oh, that's the actual tornado controlling the bigger tornado. That's the bad guy. That's hunting Joe. They're like taking a stab at reality here, but they're kind of missing it. So basically the, so the tornado will, is a parent vortex. Okay. And within that parent vortex will be several smaller vortices okay. happening on the inside. So the reality is, the, there would not be a point where they would just see like clear skies like a hurricane. Got it. Just okay. 
doesn't work that way. And um, so, however, there are some people who have had large tornadoes pass over them. They've been in shelters and they do report hearing a slight lull. Hmm. And they think that that could be possibly when they're going over the center of them. But like I said, scientists don't really think that this eye is a, a realistic depiction. And in fact, on the NSSL website, they do call the eye of a tornado a myth created by this film specifically. <laughs> oh. Good job, Twister. Wow. Yeah. Lies. <laughs> In addition to Bill and Joe surviving, lies. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way in any circumstance... I mean, they would have just been yanked right off of the ground, tossed into the sky, thrown forever. <laughs> Maybe, you know, just torn to pieces. They'd, yeah, just, they'd, have, they'd have pieces of wood, like, jettisoned through their bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the number one cause of death in any tornado is debris. Right. I mean, people are killed by the debris, and then also the collapsing buildings, but, I mean, in an F5 tornado, I, I, you, you don't just leave the knife building and then <laughs> later then come after you. You know, it, the knife building becomes a part of the tornado. Yeah. Right. Again, as, as Bill Paxton says, debris! <laughs> that is, that's the level of debris that we're working. We got debris. Debris! Yeah, yes, I mean, there was that, yes, that horse from earlier in, when they're running past the picket fence. There was a horse. That horse should have absolutely taken out at least Helen Hunt, if not both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Death by horse. <laughs> so that... I, there is one other thing that we should say, which yeah. is that, you know, theoretically, at the end of the film, they're, like, making out, and they're so proud of themselves, and they're gonna, they're gonna get a lab, mm -hmm. and they're analyze the data and then they're going to develop this tornado early warning system right so what we should talk about is the fact that we do actually today have a good amount of warning about okay. tornadoes and the thing that gave us that warning was not this you know attempt at the toto project oh. and not the later um science that they eventually got some things to go up into a tornado the the science that gave us our warning is satellites. We okay. have oh, okay. GOES satellite and other atmospheric satellites really gave us the ability, and Doppler radar really gave us the ability to look at storm systems from above. And this is something that with all atmospheric science research, satellites are the thing that has been the biggest breakthrough i mean even if you look even if you look at hurricane research we really do not understand all that much about her how hurricanes work or why they work they're a great mystery to us and that's because we've only been able to study them really since the 1970s since we were able to launch satellites to look at them okay. and this is really something that has opened our eyes a lot with tornadoes as well so in the last 40 years we have gone from being able to give satellite warnings from 40 years ago it was about three minute warnings 
And uh, today it's about 14 minutes. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and now I have mentioned that that Go 17 satellite is up there now. It had been recently launched in, I want to say, 2018. And then we have another one launching that goes 18 in 2021. And now, this, do those satellites, do the, do the previous iterations of Go's stay in orbit or do they ground them? No, um, uh, we got a lot of debris up there. Yeah, I mean, I think they, yeah, they, I think they're still up there, and and they they go, they work for a long time. I mean, the mission, the current mission of the Go seventeen satellite, in in combination with the Go eighteen satellite, is predicted to that mission is going to go for fifteen years. Oh wow! So wow. They, you know, they could launch new satellites, but they use those. You know, God. okay, so. Those two new satellites now with their new mission are they're predicting it's going to expand the tornado warning system to about 33 minutes. That is so much time. Wow. So realistically, you know, I mean, if you really wanted to make a movie about expanding the tornado warning system, what you really needed to do was make a movie about developing satellite software and improving, <laughs> <laughs> improving the technology really for you know, radar and 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 storm watching from space i there was um i remember I, I, it was a long time ago but i remember watching the news once and it was like footage from a tornado alley state of somebody who's home had been just devastated like house was gone and they had had like three significant home destruction events from tornadoes in their life and this newscaster was interviewing this guy and he was just so despondent and he was just like standing by the ruins of his home and he was like you know i just you know we can't we just can't deal with this anymore so we're gonna move to florida <laughs> oh like, my god oh <laughs> wow you... although i do have to say like, that Daddy tornado you're going to pick Florida? Well, tornadoes actually happen in every state in the entire country, mm -hmm. in, on every continent. So in everywhere in the world, tornadoes happen everywhere. Tornadoes even happen inside hurricanes. Wait, tornadoes Unfair. happen in Antarctica? Uh, they don't have any evidence of tornadoes happening around the poles. Because with uh, tornadoes as well as hurricanes, one of the key one of the key factors that helps them develop is warm air. Oh, right, right. Okay. okay. Which so is Antarctica is safe. There's no penguins flying through the air in Antarctica. Theoretically, right. But so you need <laughs> the hurricane, you need warm water. Oh, warm water, okay. warm water is what feeds a hurricane and gives a hurricane energy to grow faster. So, so there's no place you can really go to escape a tornado. In fact, when I was a kid, we even had a tornado come through our area in New Jersey. Aaron, was it in like 94? It might have been. It might have been because I distinctly remember driving through the area and there was like a, a very clear, distinctive line in the forest of the trees having been knocked down from where the oh, tornado yeah. went through. And it was a tornado, but you know, it happens everywhere. Yeah, we get water spouts off the coast here. Jordan, but we don't have like tornadoes through Los Angeles, generally right. speaking, hopefully, um, which is why I still hold that earthquakes are way less scary than a tornado ever will be. Well, no, we're just destined for we're destined for the volcano a few blocks from my house. 
That's true. There is there is the risk of volcanoes <laughs> erupting. But fortunately, like, as we as we belabored on our volcano episode, the total amount of destruction from the volcano was probably a cumulative three blocks. Yeah, it was fine. It like I from north both of, volcanoes. I, I live north of the volcano, so I'll be okay. You'll just have to come drive around the far side of like go all, all the way to La Brea. You'll I mean, come I up La Brea, to, and then you'll come to my house. Yeah, I would have been able to have easily walked around that danger zone, just <laughs> going the direction that the lava wasn't. I'd be Again, like, oh, I guess less... I'll go around the back of the tar pits instead. But Jordan, if it had been a tornado, it would have followed you. So, yeah. see, this is what I'm saying. Tornadoes are way scarier, guys. <laughs> so does that especially when they're 2.6 miles wide? Yeah, well, yeah. and they well, move, and they can they travel 80 miles. Yeah, that would go from that tornado would go from my house to yours, Amanda, in like one, like just it would sit over the top of both of us at the same time. And by the way, actually, that that tornado that traveled eighty miles, it was actually two tornadoes that both touched down at the same time, and that was in January of this year. Oh, so that was earlier this year, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not to have multiple tornadoes touch down. I mean, that was another thing in the film that was actually accurate. It's not uncommon to have more than one tornado touch down at a time. And it's also not uncommon to have multiple tornadoes happen in a day. Last year on May 27th, I think it was, there was 45 tornadoes in one day in the U.S. Oh my God. Wow, what a fucked up day. (laughs) Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. Well, so then, like, do actually seem to be becoming more frequent. I was going to say, with with rising temperatures and with heat being a vital component of these, does that mean that in the like climate change fucking maelstrom, that tornadoes are an element that that we will see a rise in? Demonstrably. It's hard to say. I mean, with anything with extreme weather events and large weather events, we only know so much. So we know that climate change increases uh, extreme weather events. And we know that tornadoes almost always only happen in a thunderstorm. They're, the water spouts and um, there's some dust, dust-like dust tornadoes and, um, and another type of tornado. There's three types of tornadoes that don't necessarily require a thunderstorm. But the major tornadoes that we're all thinking about and know about are right. come out of a supercell thunderstorm. And so, you know, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, as they're looking at them, there seems to be an increase in tornadoes. They can't say for sure 100% why. Right. Same with hurricanes. There's mm. definitely an increase in hurricanes hurricanes are moving slower and they're they're absorbing significantly more water because the heat is helping them mm-hmm. absorb water air expands and so they can hold more water and they're sitting for longer periods of time over land and dropping significantly more water right, they, right. all of these things are caused by climate change but all of these things are really hard to study, and it yeah. takes long periods of time for us to understand how trends work. But it's possible. It's mm-hmm. entirely possible that climate change is making more tornadoes. So then I think that's a good jumping off point into, I think that brings us to the end of our reality index. So then what is Twister really about? And Amanda, do you want to get us going? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep on this one. Um, I think that Twister is about, um, it, it's a metaphor for marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you okay. know, I think that it's really, you know, the, the whole thing 
tornadoes are um, essentially all the obstacles that you have to face when you're married to someone and when you're in a relationship or partnership with someone and uh, it throws debris at you. And it, I think, I, I the, think too, the obstacles you, appear and disappear over time. You um, keep having the same fight kind of over and over again, but yeah. it takes different forms with those like exactly. fundamental key issues in a relationship. As we see in the movie, it escalates over time and it grows larger <laughs> and larger. And no matter how much you try to outrun those fundamental issues, um, they follow you. And it's all about whether or not you can just tie yourself to that 30 foot deep pole <laughs> and let those issues wash over you. And, and are, are, end, you, are you with the person who you want to tie yourself to that pole with? Exactly. And in the end, you know, you will um, make out happily while watched by your weird adult children. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that she's a reproductive, that Melissa is a reproductive therapist. Um, it's, you know, she is the obstacle of whether or not you want to have kids wow. that is that is in the, the wow. role that sex plays in a relationship um uh-huh. i also think that there's probably the fact they tie themselves to that pole there's definitely some light bdsm themes that go into it and like <laughs> whether or not when you're with someone whether or not your kinks line up yeah, um, yeah and that finding that common anchor of um your your goals and your passions and your kinks and all those things you anchor yourself with that leather strip um, and you hope that <laughs> you don't you. get, you don't get speared through by a, by a picket fence, the picket <laughs> fence, again, being domesticity, that's the another thing. The like, there's just fence. so many, yeah, there's just so many ads, the more I think about it. And then like, I don't think that necessarily the families that we see, cause we see the, the family that's like standing on the side of the road, who's all sad and scared when they oh. go through, um, Meg's hometown. And then at the end, we see the shot of like a family emerging from a storm cellar looking like beatific and so happy that they've survived and yeah, their yeah. house survived yep yep it missed and them it and missed so did them. their father yeah and so did their father and i think that that is that those families aren't necessarily representative of joe's family but they are representative of like the struggle of a happy marriage and a happy partnership and whether or not it finds you know some couples seem like they have no problems some couples seem like they have nothing but problems sometimes that tornado <laughs> skips that house and your neighbor's house and it comes straight for you and it eats yep, your dad yep, yep, yep. and that's just <laughs> an eating house and miss that house and come after you yeah and and sometimes that eats your dad and sometimes eating <laughs> your dad is actually a metaphor for your issues that you have with male authority so i think <laughs> i'm going to go deep on this one <laughs> that was the preface because I don't feel like this isn't like this is about some like fundamental like I feel like that's a fairly obvious like yeah of course it's about marriage it's unhappy people but I think that if you look far enough into it you find a lot of things you can write your five character essay for your 11th grade English class yeah, yeah. on the subtext of Twister so yeah that's what I'm going with it's about marriage Erin <laughs> what is this movie about for you well, honestly for me the relationship is like the least interesting part of the film i feel like for me the movie is really about like helen hunt's uh struggle with her dark passenger of her you know loss of her father and that how it haunted her her entire life and the the tornado yeah i mean i think that the the tornado that she becomes obsessed with which is also chasing her but she's also obsessed with it is you know just a, a a a personification of her, you know, inner struggle. And also, you know, it's really a lot of ways about the achievement of a dream, the, the, you know, dedication Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to, 
to a, you know, lifelong goal and achieving that lifelong goal. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is. I agree. Sure. How um, about you? I, I'm going to go just sort of like a, a tangential to the narrative. And I'm going to go with this movie is, is about just the power of Helen Hunt. I think, <laughs> like, cause we, there was a glorious time in the nineties where we really respected and honored the power of Helen Hunt by yeah. like, having her in the show Mad About You for like a hit show that ran for so many seasons and having her bring so much like gravitas to a role in fucking Twister and going on to win. And I think she won that Academy Award for for um, Something's Gotta Give. Like as good as it gets. Yeah, as good as it gets. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Those two. Twister, yeah. And it it is a movie about like how it is a movie about the power of Helen Hunt and how we have failed to deliver. We have failed to honor that enduring power by allowing Helen Hunt, I think, to stay at the forefront in the way that we have sort of had Julianne Moore sort of age into this beautiful career in Hollywood and, and obviously yeah. like a Meryl Streep figure. I want to know this movie to me is at once a celebration for and a testament to how much we failed Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. In letting her yeah. sort of slip away from like such priority of placement on screen. Cause I was eating at when we got to do these things, I was eating <laughs> at a restaurant and I was sitting typing at my computer and I heard the voice of Helen Hunt that is so specific. And I looked up and sure enough, there was Helen Hunt sitting a table across from me wow. wearing an entirely denim outfit with <laughs> fabulous jewelry and like this great like leathery tan skin the coolest fucking aviator sunglasses her hair still looked so cool and it i was so i felt such like an i wanted to like prostrate myself before her and it was (laughs) you know you see people around la and like i like a celeb sighting i get a i get a thrill out of that but seeing helen hunt was one of the few times i wanted to walk up to somebody and be like can i have your autograph (laughs) <laughs> I miss Helen Hunt. Yeah. And I love so much that we have this movie as a time capsule. And the way that kind of only the 90s would give us, where it was like, women are tough, and they don't have to, you know, you can have a sort of like androgynous looking woman who we will exalt as beautiful, who's going to be a capable side, in like that Dr. Ellie Sattler model, that Jurassic yeah. Park model. And I love that, like, like I think the sighting of Linda Hamilton in this conversation is so appropriate. She's a disaster heroine built mm-hmm. on that kind of combat-ready Linda Hamilton model from, from Terminator 2. And I, I would like to see a return to a mainstreaming of that kind of heroine where we have the superhero now. We have the sort of spandex-clad, perfect beach yeah. waves, Gal Gadot, Brie Larson, school of superhero or you're like sort of like tough woman of few words and Michelle Rodriguez, but let's have the fucking utility player, adult woman aged, adult contemporary film where we let just those people be fucking rad and not have perfect hair and perfect skin and just be radiant, normal looking women. 
that we can just give very reasonable mid-budget amazing action movies to. Like I you know, know you told you actually you actually told the Helen Hunt story on a different uh, like on another on the podcast prior oh, and you and I had the right. same reaction where we just said Helen Hunt over and over to each other Helen just like Hunt. Helen Hunt. <laughs> that was exactly how Hunt. we said it. I mean sometimes just that's like all you can do. Like our, our moment just... of our moment of Maggie Grace. Yeah. Our moment of Agent <laughs> Maggie Grace. Oh god, what if Agent Maggie Grace played Dr. Helen Hunt's daughter? What if yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying uh, so okay let's let that bring us into dream casting and you know what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna recast this movie because it's fucking impossible but I'm saying in the sequel to Twister which we should do right now it should bring back the entire original cast rest in peace Phil Paxton and as a part of Bill Paxton not being there they are now a mother-daughter team they yes. are now a mother-daughter yes. team yes. Of, of, of climate researchers and it is them taking on the world together and I you know and, and instead of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman also rest in peace we bring in like a complimentary partner casting for agent Maggie Grace and honestly you could bring in I feel like for some reason Sam Rockwell would be a suitable yeah madcap energy replacement to Philip Seymour Hoffman who could also play like the weirdo husband or Jack Black Sam, I could be yeah. Jack Black in that role yeah, it would well. absolutely be like a Jack Black type yeah yeah let's Sam, Sam Rockwell we can find a spot for Sam Rockwell as a retiree who has decided in his like in his 50s or 60s that he wants to like help out with storm chasing and so he <laughs> joins their team um, by the way, there was briefly would a discussion. Play, they, he would not be a racist. This character would just be a good it, person. That's how we know that <laughs> Sam Rockwell isn't going to take this part because Sam Rockwell has devoted the last 10 years of his life solely playing. Yeah. At this point, if I see Sam Rockwell in a movie, I'm like, oh, he's a white supremacist. In, term, supremacist. Yeah, in terms of reality index, I don't think there's a chance in hell Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell takes the role if he's not playing some kind of deplorable racist. <laughs> like, maybe we just let Sam Rockwell have like some cut scenes that never make it into the final cut where it's just like oh and then also in this one Sam Rockwell just goes off on a long rant about immigrants um, <laughs> let's, yeah, we're let's, never like we're not gonna put any film in the camera we'll just let him have his scene and then not that Sam Rockwell's a racist but he loves playing them and so yes okay I love my the implication is, that this would be shot on film in 2020 well, <laughs> oh yeah to get that good gritty look to it because the movie has such a good like gritty film quality Got to it. it everything about the movie feels so tactile they did briefly there is if you search twister 2 there was a a basically petition to create a fan movie of twister 2 Very um some, yeah sometime around 2018 um i don't i i would love to have a sequel like jordan you and i should go out and pitch this when this is over yeah it's all original cast. Bring them yeah. back. Maggie Grace, daughter of Helen Hunt. And I think we could even like disaster, disaster king that he is. If we wanted a new love interest for like next act in her life, Helen Hunt, even though she's an independent woman who was on her own, we could bring in Gerard Butler. Oh, 100%. As Gerard Butler as new science paramour who is an actual scientist yeah. of, of Helen Hunt. So Helen Hunt has been out. So Helen Hunt's been out of the been out in of the field for years. Her daughter is now the one who goes out and does it. Helen Hunt's been out of the field, but she still loves it and she still will like go and do it. She wants to, but she just you know her job really ties her to being in there. Um, and he is the sort of suit and tie guy who funds. <laughs> He's like for her research lab, which is obviously at a university. He's sort of like yeah. the head of the um, meteorological department. 
and they're always <laughs> butting heads because they she's are. like, I got to take the kids out into the field. How else are they going to learn? And he's like, we don't have the insurance. We don't do element. that because actually liability is being yeah. in a lab. Yeah. And, and so, and then she's like, come out with me. You've, you haven't been out in the field so long. You forgot what it's like to hold the dirt, dirt in your hand. Yeah. And, and then, let it fall slowly from your fist <laughs> to the ground. And that's how it happens. And then we get the team back together and daughter, Ma- and Dr. Maggie Grace, Dr. Maggie Grace. She's yeah, like, not one other Dr. person Grace, we need. No, Dr. Maggie Grace. Dr. Maggie Grace, was, she's like, there's one more person we need. And then it's her <laughs> daughter. And they haven't talked in years because there was an estrangement that happened. <laughs> yes. And also, right. and also Ansel Elsgort plays um, a reality star storm chaser. Yeah, Ansel and Miles are definitely the new, yeah. always reality star. They're basically the Paul brothers. Yeah. In this case. And they are reality, reality YouTuber, they're vloggers who have decided to do extreme stunts in the face of tornadoes. Yeah. They will be blown up by a flying gas can. They have, they have it, they have a cow in the bed of their truck and they're going to see if they can get the cow into the twister. Yeah. (laughs) Erin, do you have anything to, to add by way of casting, (laughs) conceptualizing? (laughs) My headset just died. Can you hear me? We got you. No, I mean, I honestly think this is all brilliant. I I would, <laughs> my only like posit for, for a Twister 2 would be potentially to consider the possibility of really upgrading, <laughs> having the second film take place around hurricane hunters. Sure. Okay. And flying airplanes into hurricanes. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we can we can do this. So maybe that's what Agent Maggie Grace, Doctor Maggie Grace, does. That, that is what that's what Doctor Maggie against, Grace does. To rebel against her mother's tornadoes, she is taken to hurricanes. <laughs> She's like, this is where we can do the real science, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and I fly fucking planes into hurricanes. Like you and your driving a car around can kiss my ass, Mom. Exactly. Yeah, Aaron, I like that idea, Aaron. Thank and you. That's they good. Will both wear, they will both wear white tank tops and have fabulous windblown hair. Right. <laughs> All kinds of scenes where the where the where the instruments malfunction on the outside of the airplane and somebody has to climb out there and fix it. <laughs> their yeah. last to get a look at the eye of this hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> So that that brings us to the crucial moment of how many towering infernos does this movie get, and is it even is it even a question? This is not a question. Five it's... towering infernos. Five. Aaron, Aaron, oh, Aaron, Aaron is on a scale of one to five. Yeah. Five being five being best. It's five five towering infernos for me as well. Yeah. yeah Aaron's like that's it. That's it. That's all yeah. there's. Ten. I give it ten. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's doubling the F scale for this particular situation. And we're going to, she's taking it to 10. So phenomena is likely to happen. Yeah. (laughs) It is so true. All right. So that, that brings us to the, to the end of our experience. Yeah. So (laughs) Aaron, do you, would you Aaron, like to? Where can we find you? What do you want to promote? What do you want to talk? Like anything that you want to share with us before you before you leave our disaster divas for the day? I have nothing to promote, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Biba. That's the thing I have I have to promote. It's, and it's since a good follow. Since we're all in the house and we're all just online, um, why not check it out? Yeah. 
Erin Aaron is is one of the great Twitter follows because not only is her threat, her her um what's it called it's feed a informative timeline. it's a passionate it's, it's, timeline. it's passionate and it's informative and like nine times out of ten if someone is angrily yelling on twitter or sharing some very interesting articles i'm like that's got to be a b between <laughs> biba's, biba's brain was a twitter handle i once maintained fair warning there's quite a bit of swearing so <laughs> there is there is for us as well on this podcast normally this is I think some of the least amount of swearing we've ever done on a podcast. Oh fuck. very good. I mean <laughs> we're coming we're coming off a real high, high uh high intensity episode with mother, so I wouldn't I'm not surprised that we had to recalibrate a little this week. We ran out of, we literally ran out of fucks to give. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jordan, can, where can we find you? Yeah, no, you can find me uh, on Twitter at J-O-R-C-R-U. That's Jorcrew. Okay. Um, and I am Amanda R. Tubbs. That's Tubbs with two Bs. Um, so next week we have um, another guest because everyone's getting real bored in uh, quarantine. <laughs> yeah. And we have yes, advantage. Yeah, we're, I mean, like 100%. I, the original plan was let's space out guest hosts. And now it's like, no, let's get them all in as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah, The Rock, so, come and join us. It, <laughs> the Rock, please. Uh, you, you don't even have to come to my apartment anymore. Like that no. creepy offer has been rescinded. Just do it visually, like, do it by Skype with us. Yeah. Um, so next week we have Dr. Amy Kavanaugh. She is a visually impaired activist and campaigner and scientist that, we, that um, I know through Twitter. And she will be joining us to talk about the movie Bird Box and Bird discuss, Box. yeah, um, and discuss, especially talk about like the use and the way that visual impairment plays into that movie. Fascinating. So that will be next week. Um, and that is, as we know, available on Netflix. Yeah, that is. So watch it on Netflix and do a streaming party if you'd like. Um, we, I, we did all of where you can find all of us. So you can find the account. We are uh, disaster underscore pod on Twitter. Hell yeah. Jason, did you tell us where we can find you? Uh, oh, I did do not. We miss Jason? Sorry. All good. Jason, can, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones. Uh, just making comics and posting them on there. That's my, that's my thing right now. Awesome. They're awesome. Real good. Oh, thanks. Um, so yes, they are. So we are disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disaster girls pod at gmail.com. Uh, we are Disaster Girls on Letterboxd. If you need to like have a comprehensive list of all the movies we've covered, if you want to see <laughs> what movies we've got in the pipeline for future episodes, we've got all of that up there, so check it out. Follow us. Um, if you haven't already, please take a second to rate and review. Please do. Uh, yeah, we could really use some more ratings, some more reviews, as all podcasts thrive upon those. Hell and, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything, guys. Thank Aaron, you, Erin, so much. For joining us for this, and for of course coming so well prepared to talk about Twister, it was Thank absolutely you, thrilling. I hope that I can be invited back to talk oh. about other. Uh, dibs on the yeah. next movie, whatever you want, okay. you're back. Oh, right now? No, 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 no. Some time to think about it. You think about it. You think about it. Some later. Trying to call her shot. <laughs> no, yeah, just like this is, Aaron. I, I think that you have ways to con to contact both me and Jordan. So whenever you, whenever the thought occurs to you, just friendships have uh, provided me many opportunities again. <laughs> oh, actually, I do want to say really yes, quick, thank guys. You again, Aaron, and oh, thank J you. Oh, hold on, Jason. You've got one more thing to throw in. One more thing yeah, Jason, to throw in. Uh, oh, what do you got? So I, I did discover sometimes these random podcast apps do have a spot for reviews that don't show up in other places. 
Um, and it looks like someone on the app Podcast Addict did give us a five-star review um, just awesome. uh, last week. Oh, uh, thank you. This is, uh, this is from CooperG21, who says, This podcast is great. Love checking out the movies ahead of time with friends, uh, with possible, if possible, then checking out the podcast. It's great to listen, even if you haven't seen the movie. Highly recommended. Thank That's you a great very review. much. Thank you, Cooper G21. To you, a podcast addict. Right there, right there. That's a good one. So, guys, I mean, if you aren't topping Cooper's review, yeah. what are you even doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Get out there and top something. <laughs> Get out there. And on right, that on note, note, I don't think we can. I, I think we have to end this now. That's perfect. <laughs> yep, yep. Hi, guys. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. That might be cool.com. You never know.